Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Surprise, surprise, mother bleepers. The king is back. The king is back. Surprise, surprise, mother bleepers. The king is back. Well, not that king. No, Jimmy Garoppolo. That guy. And not a total surprise either. Rit, are you eating already? You couldn't make it through one minute of the show without eating? He's got his beef jerky. All right, Rit. It's fine. Finally. Pro- professionally, you should not eat until after the program, much less on camera, Rit. Very unprofessional, unless it's Old Trapper. And we did get a fresh shipment. Man, you got no pride. I mean, it is the best jerky ever. On camera, no less. Not even like during the breaks. On camera. Just stuffing his fat face. Anyway. Face. 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 Rit. So, not a total surprise that Rit is stuffing his face on camera. Or that Jimmy Garoppolo is back in the fold. Because frankly, it had been heading this way for a while now, right? Garoppolo is going to stay with the 49ers for this season. Maybe. Like, as it turns out, there really was no trade market for this guy. The 49ers sure as hell didn't want to cut this guy, only to see him go in division to the Seahawks. So, the team and the quarterback decide to stay together. The decision that nobody really wanted ended up being the one that actually makes the most sense. And the guy who said his farewell more than six months ago is still here. And it's actually pretty awesome. Awesome. Adam Schefter tweeted the news, quote, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers agreed to a restructured one-year contract that will keep the QB in San Francisco this season per sources. The contract contains no trade and no tag clauses, assuring Garoppolo will remain in SF this season and have the freedom to leave in 2023. End of tweet. So he is a 49er for the year. Maybe not. Let's not get into that. Because what that no-trade clause means, really, is if another team wants to trade for him, Jimmy just has to be included in that conversation about that trade. So it's not that stone-cold lock that he's a Niner for the rest of the year. But for right now, he is. And taking a big pay cut. Instead of making the 24 mil plus that he was scheduled to earn, he's probably looking at something like between six and a half. And 15 and a half, depending on what bonuses he hits. But then again, do we really care what the money side of this is? I don't. It's not my money, but I don't. The real story here is more about the madness. The real story here to me is about the awkwardness. Don't get me wrong. Again, it does make sense for both sides to agree to this deal. Jimmy G did not have a spot right now where he could go start. The 49ers were not going to get what they wanted in a trade. So they might as well have him as an expensive backup with big game experience. And yes, he is a guy who's won a lot of games for them and a guy that his teammates like a lot. But just because it makes sense and it's the right move does not mean that it's not awkward. It's awkward as hell. Because the guy that started the conference championship, hey, wait, now you're drinking. Is that hot chocolate that you're washing that jerky down with? Because, of course, it is. Anyway, Rit, you're becoming a real distraction to me. I'm trying to do the show open. The guy who started the conference championship last season is now backing up a dude who really hasn't done a damn thing in the NFL yet. That is the very definition of awkward. Awkward as hell. I mean, the Niners could not have made it more clear that they were moving on from a guy who led them to a second NFC championship game and that they were going to go with a rookie or a younger player until they didn't actually move on from the guy who led them to a second NFC championship game. There was already a ton of pressure on Trey Lance to take over a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. That's a Super Bowl roster right there. 
We're talking about a guy who's thrown 71 passes in the NFL. And due to COVID, he really hasn't played much in the last few years at all. The general public barely knows who or what he is. And I'm guessing it's not totally clear that the Niners themselves know who or what he is. Because he has been up and down this camp. And now he's about to lead or he's going to be asked to lead a loaded offense where anything less than a trip to the Super Bowl is going to be a disappointment. Like all offseason, the pressure on Lance has been sitting on this guy like a Mack truck on his shoulders, and it just went way up. Because any time this guy makes a mistake on the field, he'll be jogging off and sitting next to a guy who has led the team to a Super Bowl and two NFC Championship games. Like, as an example... When Kansas City knew they were tossing the keys to Patrick Mahomes, they traded Alex Smith. They burned the boats. It was Mahomes or bust. They knew what they had in Mahomes, and they were going with the kid no matter how rough it was going to be at the start. That's not what this is. That's not what the Niners are doing. On the one hand, it makes sense because it is a Super Bowl team. And if Lance can't do it, they have insurance. Jimmy can. He has. He's been there. But... They can't let Jimmy start, no matter how successful he's been, because they gave up way too much to get Trey Lance to have Trey Lance sitting on the bench. So he has to take over. But, but, if they were 100% certain that he could take over, then Garoppolo wouldn't be there right now. But Jimmy being there is going to make it tougher for Trey to take over. Again, they tossed the keys to Lance but they gave another set of keys to another more experienced driver who's going to ride shotgun. They dumped Jimmy, and they went with somebody new, but Jimmy's still there. They kept him around. And that, to me, is pretty hilarious. Like, they broke up with G, but he still lives in the same house with the ex. And they're all going to be under the microscope the entire year. And not just game by game, but series by series, throw by throw, decision by decision. And if Lance does not ball the hell out, it's going to get awkward as all get out. But awesome, right? Like, it's one thing if Trey Lance struggles. And Nate Sudfeld is the backup. Because nobody's going to be yelling to get Nate Sud into the game. Lance could throw five picks and have three Orlovsky safeties in a game, and nobody's looking for Nate Sud to get reps. But if the offense has the slightest stumble under Lance, and Jimmy's sitting there, there's going to be pressure and questions and stories about when Jimmy's going to get that look, and possibly teammates wanting to go with the vet, and then you've got a split locker room because the vets know that the window's open and their chance to win is right now, and it's slipping away because the kid can't handle it. Like if Lance throws a pick, TV cameras are going to find Jimmy G on the sideline. If Lance makes a bad read and takes a bad sack, smash cut to Jimmy. And it's going to be nonstop. Trust me, if Trey Lance makes a bad decision, the camera's not going to find Nate Sud. Nobody gives a damn. So there's some pressure now and some drama now. And it's pretty much what Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and Trey Lance all signed up for. A crap load of pressure. And it just went up. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're a better team today with Jimmy G locked up for the year and second on the depth chart as opposed to eighth or whatever he was when he was off on the side throwing and was not allowed to practice and not even given a playbook. So they are a better team in theory today than they were 24, 36 hours ago. But I'll tell you what, they're infinitely more interesting than they were 24 hours ago because they're infinitely more awkward than they were 24 hours ago. So the question is this. We know Lance is going to start the year, but is he going to finish it? I'll tell you what makes me laugh. You know what makes me laugh? This. Quick thank you to all of you guys, the media, uh, since I got here, you guys have been awesome. It's been some ups and downs between all of us, but uh, for the most part, you guys have been awesome. Just good group to deal with. You guys are very, uh, very engaging, and it's just fun to be around you guys. You're from Eric making the jokes to every, everything in between. Just uh, it, it's been a fun ride, guys, and I really appreciate you for that. And uh, yeah, I'll miss you guys. So thank you guys again, faithful. Thank you very much for everything. Uh, it's been crazy, man. Just uh, all the 
comebacks at Levi's, comebacks on the road, ups and downs. It's, it's been a hell of a ride, guys. I love you guys. So, see ya. Holy crap. I, I can't even tell you how much I love that. That's incredible. That, that Not only have I never heard Jimmy G as emphatic, that was one of the greatest farewells ever. That's Jimmy G running like a spaz to the pier, grabbing dog tags belonging to everybody, the media, the faithful, Eric, and then dropping down and throwing all the dog tags into the water. Nothing like saying your final heartfelt goodbye to a good friend and his wife at the rooftop, then bumping heads at the bar to close your tab. Like, LOL, don't I know you? I'll miss you guys. You know, and that's awkward and uncomfortable, but whatever. And then you got to hit the head before you get your car and you hit the open urinal. Hey, are you following me? It's been a hell of a ride, guys. Then you're like, wow, man, I can't shake these people. That's, this is just getting weird. Then you finally like get to the valet line to get to your car. And then they're right behind you in a long valet line. And you pretend not to see them, but it's painfully obvious. Only in this case, you're not waiting for a car. You're going to jump in the same exact Uber for a a cross-country ride. And then you end up living in the same studio apartment. I love you guys. I miss you guys. I love you guys. Obviously, the Niners did not consult with Martellus Bennett before they did this. Bro, we lost two games. One of them was because Jimmy Garoppolo was being a bitch and didn't and try to quit he quit before us on the last decided not to play right before the game. So we went out there. Jacoby Jacoby came out and played with a up thumb and gave his played his heart out. But Jimmy was just being a bitch about it all and he's still being like that's why he you can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. My man Martellus, remember what I said earlier in the take where he's won a lot of games for them and his teammates love him? Footnote, not Martellus. I'll miss you guys. Martellus thinks you're a bitch. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. I never crossed Martellus. I don't know. I've I've never played with Jimmy. Hell, I don't even play football. I never have. In the street, does that count? Anyway, memo to the Niners. Embrace the awkward. Because you know I will. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I don't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray continues. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do. You should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel. All day. Pat Forty is my guest. Pat, so good to have you on. How are you, Pat? Hey, I'm doing well, Jim. Happy football season to you. You too, Pat. Great to have you back. So I want to get into this weekend's games, but in a moment, before we do that, I want to talk about Nebraska, and I thought that you wrote a really aggressive but extremely fair column about what happened in Nebraska in their loss to Northwestern on Saturday. If this was Scott Frost's Hail Mary season, Pat, just how terrible was that performance, and in particular, that onside kick decision, what was he thinking? <laughs> I have no idea. It was disastrous, absolutely disastrous in a game that you're winning by 11 points that you need to win. You know, coming into this season, this is one of those on paper probably 60-40 games, and they they were favored by 12 and a half, and and you're getting the job done, and you single-handedly give uh, Northwestern a chance uh, with a bad onside kick call. Onside kicks are about a 24% chance success rate, and – you don't need it. 
Uh, Northwestern's a team that struggles to go 80 yards to score touchdowns. Make them go 80. And, and when you start your, your make-or-break season that way, it's, I mean, that's, that gives people ammo to, to give up on you real quick. We're talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, what happened to Frost at Nebraska? And in your opinion, is there any chance that he's still coaching them after his buyout is reduced in October? Uh, I think the only chance uh, that, that he's still coaching them in October is if they beat Oklahoma in uh, their fourth game. They've got a couple should-be walkovers here between now and then. If you lose to Oklahoma, you're 2-2, two and two, you're 0-1 in the Big Ten. It's looking like business as usual. Uh, I think he's probably gone when his buyout does reduce from $15 million to $7.5 million. As far as what happened, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just been... A, a parade of errors, a parade of close losses, a a just succession of unclutch plays. Some bad luck, probably, but, but a lot of just failing to seize the moment. Some bad coaching decisions. Uh, he's five and twenty-one in one-score games in Nebraska. Hmm. That's hard to do, you know. I mean that that you you think you're going to be fifty-fifty in those games. He's nowhere close to that. And I think that uh, the onside kick call was just kind of a microcosm of finding ways to lose games. We're talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, you also have a piece up on SI ranking the most desperate programs in the country. And while Nebraska is on that list, you've got Texas right at the very top. This is a program, Pat, that has not won 10 games in a season since Colt McCoy was there. Like, how crazy is that stat and how hungry is that fan base to get things turned around right now? It's shocking for a program of Texas's stature and and means uh, and resources to go more than a decade without winning ten wins. I mean, it really is. That that is a, a, another thing that's hard to do. Um, and I think the fan base, yeah, is 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 starving for a, a return to relevance. Um, you know, they've poured every resource into it. They made a very very expensive decision to fire Tom Herman and to hire Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, they are taking a home run swing at conference realignment. They're the ones that started all of the upheaval, really, by saying they were going to go, and then Oklahoma going with them uh, to the SEC last summer. And, I mean, there's a lot of risk involved in that because you're going into a harder conference. So you better get back to being a 10-win caliber program if you're going to do that. So there is a lot riding on, I think, not maybe not as much this season as next season, but there's still a lot on this season. Nobody wants to repeat a 5-7 and seven last year. Right. We're talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, another one of the programs on the list is USC. They're coming off an abysmal 4-8 and eight season, but the vibe around the program, of course, and around Southern California, around this town, has changed and changed the moment that Lincoln Riley showed up. He brought in a lot of talent through the transfer portal, but, Pat, given what that defense was like last year, how good do you think this team can can be this year that's the big question because they, you know we bring in Lincoln Riley he's going to scheme up an offense and now you've got the players to do it you've got a really talented quarterback you've got receivers you've got a really good running back from Oregon uh but you got to be able to stop some people and that defense last year was terrible um they've got to at least just be better you know they've got to be respectable on defense and then you're just going to try to outscore teams so that's the that's the big question Schedule gives them a chance, I think, to kind of get their feet under them early and and, and make some improvement on, on that side of the ball. But sooner or later, you know, you're going to play Utah. You're going to play UCLA. You're going to play Notre Dame. Uh, you're going to have to be able to be a fairly balanced football team and not just trying to score 60 and, and then give up 50. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. We're talking to Pat Forty. I'm trying, Pat. I'm trying to get to this week's action, but there's so many really interesting storylines around the nation. Really quickly, what about Michigan? They've had their quarterback battle this offseason. Jim Harbaugh, Pat, announced that Cade McNamara would be the starter in week one against Colorado State. J.J. McCarthy would be the starter in week two against Hawaii. Then Harbaugh would make a decision after that. Why do you think that he's doing what he's doing other than he is who he is? <laughs> that's definitely part of it. It's like, 
you know, Harbaugh likes to keep things interesting and unconventional, and this is a very good way to do it. I, I said it's Spurrier-esque, really, in terms of just finding a novel way to uh, to pull strings with your quarterbacks. But I do think the other element of that could be you're keeping them on board and keeping them out of the transfer portal. You know, uh, if you decide October 15th, I'm sorry, August 15th, uh, we're going with this guy. Then the other guy's like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to go see what, where else can I enroll? Uh, now, I mean, school has started. If you are the loser in this quarterback derby three weeks into the season, that you could probably still find a place that's on a quarter system that you could transfer into, but you're not going to be able to play this year, at least not realistically. So, I think more than anything, what this does is it keeps two very talented, motivated, uh, driven quarterbacks on your roster probably for the full season. I think you nailed it. Pat Forty joining us. All right, Pat, so what about this weekend? You've got number five, Notre Dame, at number two, Ohio State. Marcus Freeman's first regular season game as head coach, and it's taking place at his alma mater. How big of a challenge does he have on his hands? Really big, I think. You know, I think Notre Dame is probably a little bit overrated at, at five, and You've got a quarterback who has not started before. You have a, a head coach who's, who's just getting his feet under him. Uh, your best offensive lineman is dinged up and is probable to play. We'll see if Jared Patterson does play. Had a season-ending injury to one of their key wide receivers. So they're not exactly just cruising into Columbus here, and I do think Ohio State is pretty loaded. Um, if that defense improves, they will be a strong number two and could give – Alabama all it's worth or, uh, for the national championship ultimately by the end of the season. So I, I think Notre Dame's kind of up against it here in this first game. Agreed. Covering a lot of ground with Pat Forty. Got a couple of minutes left. Pat, what about Sunday night? LSU is going to start the Brian Kelly era with a game against Florida State in the Superdome. What kind of expectations do you have for LSU in year one under Kelly? I don't have high expectations for him in year one. I think the talent level is a bit down. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have, you know, his kind of guys all, I think, across the board. But I do expect him to be better organized, better coached, better schemed, and should be more talented than Florida State. Should be good enough to win that game. But, but if anybody's expecting 10, 11, 12 wins out of LSU this season, I think it's too soon. Pat Forty, my guest. Pat, one last thought. What about Utah? Utah opening up against Florida, to me, in the Swamp is a really interesting matchup. What are your early thoughts on that game? And then secondarily, what would a win for Utah mean and their college football playoff hopes? Yeah, really intriguing game there. Uh, and I think, I think Utah is good enough to win that game, perhaps win convincingly. I really like the Utes. I mean, I think they've got a chance to be a college football playoff contender. I think they can be the best team in the Pac-12. They're, they're physical. They're really good at the line of scrimmage. They've got good tight ends. They've got a good quarterback. They've got a good running back. Defense, you got to fill some holes, but Kyle Whittingham always has a good defense. So you get this a good, splashy road win in, against an SEC opponent, and then you go into Pac-12 play and take care of business. And I think they can put together a resume that will have the Utes uh, in the in the conversation, at least for the playoff, uh, all the way deep into the season. This is how you do it. A senior writer at Sports Illustrated, co-host of the College Football Inquirer podcast. <laughs> Longtime friend of this program has appeared on our TV shows as well. He is Pat Forty. Pat, really appreciate you. Great job as always. Thanks, Pat. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you. So you're hanging out with some friends. You're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you got this. You live nearby. You can make it home just fine. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. So to the surprise of nobody at all, Baker Mayfield is the Carolina Panthers starting quarterback. And no matter how weird things got with the Browns at the end, no matter how long that trade saga lasted, 
he still showed up in Carolina and he ripped the starting job from Sam Darnold. And that should not surprise anybody in the least. And as everybody knows, Carolina is, what a coinkydink, opening up against the Cleveland Browns. However, Baker being the pro that he is and having gone through what he's gone through, you know Baker is going to keep a very even keel. You know that with the perspective now gained from his time with Cleveland, he's not going to make this bigger than it should be. I know Baker is going to approach this game like it's any other game. A nameless, faceless opponent on the schedule that has to be dealt with. Just win the day, trust the process every day. You go 1-0 every single day. Just another game on the schedule. Because this dude is a pro, and you know how laid back he is, and you know that that's how he's going to approach this matchup with his former team. You know it. That's how he'll approach this matchup. The hell he will. This is Baker bleeping Mayfield we're talking about. The ultimate chip-on-the-shoulder guy. He runs on crazy premium fuel. And the chance to face his old team in his first game with his new team is not just another game. Not only is it not just another game, you listen to this guy and what he's saying and the vibe he's throwing off, it's damn near this guy's Super Bowl. You don't believe me. Ask Cynthia Freeland. She was working the sideline for the Bills-Panthers preseason finale, and she appeared on the Around the NFL podcast, and she described her conversation with Mayfield after the game. You know, I was like, kick some butt. I didn't say that word, but you know, (laughs) kick some butt, kid. No, (laughs) go kick some butt, especially week one. I like cannot wait. And he uses some expletives, and I was like, I just hope you're like, he's like, I'm going to bleep them up. He's like, I'm going to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. So she was asked if, quote, I'm going to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. Was the exact quote. And she said that she did not want to say curse words on the air, but it was the quote. Let me say this. If you're surprised by any of that, you are maybe the dumbest person on the planet. If Baker really did say, I'm going to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. I mean, is anybody really surprised by that? I'd be surprised if he did not say more. I'm surprised that he didn't get into even more graphic detail. I'm surprised he didn't say that he was going to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. And then point up the Haslam's in the stands. Or run over to Kevin Stefanski and spike the ball in his face. And bleep him up. I'm going to bleep them up. Of course he's looking to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. And of course he said... He's looking to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. Again, this is who he is. This is what he does. This is a bleeping lifestyle. This is why I've rode with this guy. This is why I've supported this guy. And don't tell me that he should have just kept that to himself. Don't tell me now that the Browns have bulletin board fodder. First of all, does anybody still have a bulletin board? Does anybody ever print anything anymore and put anything on a bulletin board? Don't tell me that this guy can think it, but shouldn't say it, because now they know it. Of course he wants to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. Of course he wants to kick their ass. Anybody who has ever played the sport of football on any level has said that about a team that they used to play for. There's not a single player who's ever been kicked to the curb who didn't want to go back and bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. I just don't know that anybody has ever wanted to bleep them up worse than Baker probably wants to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. And you know why he wants to bleep them up? I'm going to bleep them up. It's a good drop. She's good. That's a good drop. Do you know why he wants to bleep them up? Because they bleeped him over. He thinks that. And he's not wrong. You can say all you want about what he did or did not do last year. But in his mind, he led them to the playoffs and a playoff win. The Browns led them to a playoff win the year before. He played through a ton of pain last year when he could have shut it down, when other guys would have shut it down. And what thanks did he get for that? 
blamed for a bad season and then left to sit and twist on the trade block for months, only to see them bring in a dude with crazy pending legal issues and guarantee that same guy more than anybody ever while letting Mayfield twist in the wind for months. Of course he's pissed. Of course he wants to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. Him wanting to bleep them up is the most normal and real response that there is. So if you're a Browns fan and you're all up in your feelings about those comments, check yourself because your team gave up on him so they could give up a ton of picks and nearly of a quarter of a bill guaranteed to get a guy accused of sexual assault by dozens of women. And it wasn't just that they traded Baker. They jammed him by letting him twist for months, and then they moved him for a conditional fifth-round pick, and he had to take a $3.5 million haircut for the privilege of having to twist for months. You think that guy's not taking notes the entire time? In Baker's mind, they made him out to be the bad guy while they went out and they mortgaged their future to get Deshaun Watson, a legitimate bad dude who still thinks he didn't do anything wrong. They didn't even trade this guy for a fourth-round pick. It was a conditional fifth-rounder that could become a fourth-rounder. I mean, the whole thing has been a series of insults on top of injury. And you think that guy doesn't want to bleep them up. I'm going to bleep them up. And you have an issue with him saying that publicly. And you know he can't wait for that game. I bet that guy hasn't slept in two weeks. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I don't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray continues. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do. You should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel. All day. Tony Elliott is my guest. Tony, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great, Tony. So let me ask you, you're just a few days away from your debut as a head coach. How is game week going for you? And what is your message to your team as you get ready for Saturday? You know, game week is going well so far. Uh, we have a morning practice schedule. So we uh, finished our second day of practice this week, uh, Tuesday practice, uh, Full padded practice, a good get-after-it kind of day. Uh, the guys responded well uh, this morning. The messaging for these guys is we don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Uh, we're only we're only uh, promised 12 games, and the only one we can worry about is the one that's in front of us. So this is the biggest game uh, that we're going to play all year because it's the only one that we got. Uh, let's be intentional, let's be appreciative, and let's be present in the moment so that Uh, By the time we get to Saturday, the game is already won. All we have to do is just go out and play from victory. I like that. Tony Elliott joining us. So, Tony, when you were at Clemson, you were one of the most sought-after assistant coaches in the country year in and year out. I'm curious then, what was your process when it came to evaluating job opportunities, and what made Virginia stand out? So, uh, after the 2015 season, when uh, we lost Alabama in our first national championship is when the calls – uh, started to come, and, and, and I went through some programming in the summertime and realized that I wasn't ready to be a head coach. There was so much that I needed to to learn, but then I also needed to sit down and create a profile of what the schools that would, would pique my interest would look like. And uh, the things that were on that list was high academics uh, because I still believe in the, the collegiate model, and, and, and football is huge, and it's a big part of young people's lives. But, uh, you know, I was fortunate to learn – uh, through my experience that education is the key to your to your financial uh, success in the future. So started with education, education at the high level, but that's also going to create uh, a situation where I wouldn't be forced or influenced to compromise 
uh, what's most important in, in the educational process to win football games. And I wanted to be in a conference uh, that could compete at the highest level, have an alignment with uh, within the administration between myself, the AD, uh, and the uh, and the president. Uh, and those were those were the biggest criteria. And so so as I sat down, I highlighted about seven schools that that I felt like fit that criteria. And Virginia was on that list. However, I didn't think that Virginia was going to be a possibility because of uh, the job that Bronco was doing here. He was doing a good job. Virginia head football coach Tony Elliott joining us. Tony, speaking of high academics, if we were to go back, as some people know, you graduated from Clemson with a degree in industrial engineering, and you were working in Michelin. What were those days in Michelin like? (laughs) So it was a transition. Uh, I think all former student-athletes, can feel me uh, when I say that it's a transition because your your schedule was so regimented. You'd have a nap during the day, um, but then you you go into the working world, man, and it's nine to five and it's fast paced. And uh, but the people were very very good to me. Uh, I had a great group of uh, folks to work with. Uh, they took me in. Um, they also saw some potential in me and helped me transition uh, early uh, in my career to to something that I felt was better suited for me. So it was a great experience. But at the end of the day. I could feel something inside that was the, the, a desire to do something that I felt was more purposeful and using football as a platform to, to help young men reach their potential uh, is where ultimately the Lord uh, led me to be. Tony Elliott joining us. I think Dabo Sweeney recognized that as well because after you had stops at South Carolina State and Furman, you were hired at Clemson. Dabo told ESPN, quote, he had never coached running backs a day in his life. I didn't hire him because he's a great running backs coach. I hired him because of who he is and those characteristics that he has, his attributes and his aptitude and his willingness to put in the work and show up. We align in how we think, end of quote. So let me ask you, how would you describe the alignment that you and Dabo had in your way of thinking and approaching the game oh uh, I think we were very similar and I didn't meet coach Sweeney until after I had already graduated with my engineering degree and so it was a situation at Clemson where I played my junior season um, as a senior because I was graduating in December Uh, they offered the scholarship back to me uh, so I would come back for my senior year and in that transition between my junior and my senior year is when Coach Sweeney came in to coach the receivers. And immediately when he showed up, uh, you could tell there was an alignment between the two of us. Both of us started our career as walk-ons. He obviously had a tremendous amount of adversity to overcome uh, with his family uh, family structure early in his life. And so that created a, a drive and a passion and a desire that, that both of us could, could appreciate about each other. And because of the similarities in our backgrounds, there was an instant connection. And so, you know, it was something that, 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 that got aligned way before we even met. But we, 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 because of where we came from and how we had to work to overcome uh, the issues that we had to overcome uh, in our early lives, it created a, a similar mindset. Hmm. Virginia head football coach Tony Elliott joins us. Tony, in 2020, a group of players at Virginia formed the Groundskeepers to work for racial and social change. One of the things that they have done is create a walk that starts at mm-hmm. Heather Higher Way in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. It goes to the Memorial to Enslaved Laborers. It concludes at the Rotunda on the grounds. You've done that walk. You've made that walk. What was that experience like for you? It was a, it was a little surreal, to be honest with you, because when I got here, uh, I was made aware of it uh, very early, uh, but didn't have an opportunity uh, to perform that walk until this summer. But Marcus Higgins is, is uh, my associate head coach and former player here, was a great player here, a uh, great man, uh, very well respected throughout uh, college football and then also throughout the state of Virginia. Um, but, you know, he was, was instrumental in helping the, the groundskeepers, you know, come to fruition. And so I knew a lot about it, but when I actually walked it and, and you start where you start and you see uh, you can kind of visualize what took place there, it really, really puts it in context. And then when you finish uh, at the uh, at the enslaved memorial, when I you go stop at the enslaved memorial and then you finish uh, at the rotunda, you know it really just puts into context what what Marcus and the groundskeepers were really trying to achieve and in, in taking back uh, their grounds after the uh, the incidents that 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 occurred, um, and then the tragedies that occurred as well uh, with those who, who lost their life uh, 
uh, during that time. Mm. Tony Elliott joining us. You know, Tony, I could talk to you about leadership and life for the rest of the interview, but we should talk a little bit of football before I let you go. <laughs> the offenses that you ran at Clemson were absolutely devastating. How would you describe your offensive philosophy? Yeah, so so it's a little bit different uh, here uh, at Clemson. Uh, obviously, you know, Coach Sweeney wanted to be very very aggressive. Uh, we were very multiple. We were two. We were we were no huddle. We were fast paced. Uh, we had we had the guys, uh, the horses, so to speak, to be able to, to spread people out, create one on one matchups. You know, here it's a it's a little bit more of of a of a blend of different uh, philosophies. So there's some tempo elements. Uh, from my background, there's the shotgun principles from my background. And then also, you know, there's some under center and, and uh, heavier personnel groupings than, than what I did at Clemson, which is uh, part of what Coach Kitchens brings here. And then just the philosophy in terms of, you know, how we attack the run game is a little bit different. Uh, I've, I started as an inside zone kind of guy and, and was slowly kind of transitioning to the uh, to the outside zone where Dez is the opposite. He's an outside uh, zone guy through and through and kind of complementing the offense with the inside zone. But, you know, we want to stretch you from sideline to sideline, from, from goal line to goal line, uh, try to create uh, matchups. And, and, and one thing that, that I like about what Coach Kitchens brings uh, to this offense is, is his experience in the NFL of being able to, uh, to, to really hone in on how to get uh, the best matchups play in and play out for our guys. Tell him I said what's up if you don't mind if you think about it and you get a second. It seems to me also you need the right you need the right quarterback Tony right for that sort of thing. Starting quarterback Brendan Armstrong coming off a record-setting season last year. What does his next step and his growth look like to you? You know, first and foremost, he's a, he's an awesome young man. It's been a it's been a privilege and a pleasure to to be around him and and see him lead and see him work and. You know his humility, because uh, you talked about all the accolades that uh, that he accumulated last year. Uh, but all he wants to do is win. He just wants to wants to win football games, and that's why he came back not to break any records, but to to finish on top with his uh, with his teammates. And so I got a tremendous amount of respect uh, for that. So the biggest things I'm challenging him with is just uh, you know quarterback gamesmanship, uh, being able to to play the game within the game, uh, preparing him you know mentally from a run and a pass and a protection standpoint. Uh, for the next level, uh, become more comfortable with the uh, the components of the offense where we're up under center, uh, the play action, and some of the things that are, that are new to him. Uh, but the biggest thing is is I want to see this young man have fun. Uh, he's a competitor. He loves to compete. Uh, I want to see him have fun. I want to see him lead, and I want to see him work on you know those minute uh, details that we're talking about that I believe will give him an opportunity to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish here at UVA this season, but more importantly, uh, in his future at the next level. So finally, Tony, I use the the phrase often that it's not about you. You're not going to make it about you. And I really mean this about you. I know it's not about you, but I'm curious. And we never even got into, we didn't have time for this conversation to get into your background, your journey, everything you went through growing up. But when you factor that in and all the work you've put into to get into this spot, do you have any idea what it's going to feel like when you hit the field Saturday as a head coach for the first time? (laughs) Uh, I have no idea because I'm going to be focusing on the little things because I'm, I'm evaluating the game day atmosphere because I'm thinking about recruiting. So I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be on high alert uh, focusing on just program-specific things. Uh, I don't know, uh, but, but it, it might kick in when I run out the tunnel. But prior to that uh, and, and once we get into the game, I just want to be an instrument for these guys to help them be successful on Saturday. Because uh, by that time, you know, it's all about the players. None of the coaches coach. We stand on the sideline. It's all about the guys that are between the white lines. He is the head football coach at Virginia. Next time you and I talk, I will ask you what it felt like when you hit that field for the first time as a head coach after it's already happened. He is in his first season with the Cavaliers. He did spend the previous 11 seasons with Clemson. I also mentioned the two national titles, the Broyles Award as well. Virginia opening up against Richmond on Saturday. Tony, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation. Good luck this weekend. I enjoyed it as well. Really appreciate your time and wish you all the best. All right, really quickly, I said phone calls, so let's get some phone calls in. We go to Cleveland. This is the epitome of on topic, in market, Ed in Cleveland. What's going on, Ed? How are you? Good, Jim. Hey, uh, I got to say, the vast majority of the Cleveland Browns fans did not want Baker to leave. They loved Baker. They wanted him to stay. They were against the trade. And they're turning on the Haslam's, pretty much so. And everything the Haslam's have touched since they 
on this team has gone sour. So Baker got us to the playoffs. He won a playoff game. He was 11-5, and five, beat Pittsburgh twice in two weeks, which never happened. And I'm just saying, it's, it is the organization. We've traded three first-round picks, $230 million. We bet the, the mortgage on the Browns. And we don't have him for 11 games, and he looked terrible in his preseason games. That's all I have to say, Jim. We love to Baker. Not that we want him to win, but, boy, it's tough. I hear you. Nice job. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say rock that call because he was on topic, in market, and came up with something and made some good points. Ton of draft picks. Ton of money, guaranteed. And like I said, they I think they did him wrong. The way they hung him out, let him twist, how little they got in return for him. Yeah, he wants to bleep them up. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Tennessee this time. Ken in Tennessee. What's going on, Ken? How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the vine. You got it. Hey, here in Tennessee, all my Browns fans... Hey, Baker's an angry little shrimp, and Miles Garrett's got a big net to catch him. Go Browns. Take care. You got it, Ken. You too. Go ahead and rack him too if you want. Baker is an angry little shrimp. You know what I like about that take? Bam. Set it up. Knock it down. Get in. Get out. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for uh, giving me a vine. Baker is an angry little shrimp. Miles Garrett's got a big neck, and he's going to catch him. I'm out. That works for me. I don't agree with it. I agree with half of it. Baker is angry, and I would be too if I were Baker. In terms of him being a little shrimp, I mean, physically, he's not that. He's not Tom Brady. He's not that stand-in-the-pocket You know, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not that guy. He's not Josh Allen. But what he is is a former first-round pick overall, a former Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who got you into the playoffs and won you a playoff game. So angry little shrimp, in my mind, is only half true. No, he's not 6'4". He's not that guy. But he wins. He battles. He competes. And yes, he is angry. And that's good. You know that whole thing about you can't play angry, you can't play pissed? The hell you can't. It's gotten him a long way. In fact, he is where he is because he runs on that kind of fuel. All right, so one caller from Cleveland saying, we actually are conflicted. Like, we don't want him to win, but we don't want bad things to happen to him, and we didn't want to trade him. But no, we don't want him to beat us. This guy straight up said, oh, no, he's an angry little shrimp. An angry little shrimp that wants to beat your team more than anybody wants anything right about now. I never thought I would be so compelled by a Browns-Panthers matchup. It practically feels like the Super Bowl. I can't wait for that game. Hey, Big Head, hit me up. What's the line on that game right now? Has it moved at all? The last time I saw that line, I think it was Panthers minus two and a half. I think. Hit that up, head. If it doesn't come back from the head, that means he's not paying attention and he's not. There he is. All right. Nice job, head. I thought I was going to catch him for a minute. Dot, dot, dot. Browns plus two and a half. Browns plus two and a half. If you think the Browns have a Super Bowl ready roster minus the quarterback and you can get two and a half, would you hit that? You could, but who's your quarterback? Not a guy that's scaring anybody right about now. That's right. How are you going to play that one? There's still time between now and then. But if you had to hit that thing right now, what would you do? If you had to hit it right now, what would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. I'm betting on, quote, the angry little shrimp. And I'm laying the points. Let's get one more call in here. Erie PA. Brian, you made it in. Good to have you. Brian, how are you? Good. What's up, Roman? How you doing, bud? Good, dude. Good. How about you? Good, good. Hey, man, I I love Baker. I was the one. I wanted Baker to be – I mean, I wanted him to be the man. 
The thing that stunk is last year he played awful. Um, hindsight, he was hurt. That probably cost him a lot of wins. He made awful throws, awful throws. I don't know how many times he overthrew Jarvis Landry. So that stinks. He did get the raw deal. I guess when you get that, when you have a chance to get Deshaun, if you can get him, you go after him. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. If he wins the Super Bowl, was it worth it? Possibly. But uh, as for the Browns in week one, I, of course, want the Browns to win, but I don't want Break- Baker to stink. He's a, he's a good dude. I loved him when he was here, but what are you going to do? I hear you. Brian, I appreciate that. You know, the, the whole thing about if you have a chance to get Deshaun Watson, you do that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. They clearly felt that way. They knew that they would – there was this school of thought that a player of that magnitude would never, ever come free at that age. And the only reason he did was because of all of his legal trouble. And the Browns said, you know what? Screw it. We're all in. Whatever it takes, we're willing to pay the price. Because what's it mean? One, we could never in a million years ever get a chance to get a guy like that. So give him whatever the hell he wants. Give them as many draft picks as they need. Guarantee him as much money as he needs. And then we'll take some heat. And we know there's going to be blowback. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And we know he's going to get suspended. But it probably won't be that long. It'll all be worth it. I'm not sure it will. I'm not sure it will on two levels. One, you mortgage your future. Two, you mortgage your soul. Haslam's obviously don't give a damn. To them, it's worth it. So we'll see. In terms of Baker, yeah, Baker did not play well last year. I'm not going to sit here and say he did. But I'm not going to also sit here and say that he was not affected by his non-throwing arm, which was jacked up. And the guy went out there every single week and tried to play through it. Tried to play through it. And I give the guy credit for that. No, he didn't have a good season. But last year, he had a gr- the year before that, he had a great year, and he wasn't banged up. Jordan Palmer joins me. Jordan, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jim? Good, good. So, Jordan, let me just jump in really quickly. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but the news that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to stay with the 49ers and back up Trey Lance, I want to get your thoughts on that. As much as Lance has around him in terms of talent, Jordan, he's only made 71 passes in the NFL. What do you expect from him early in the season? I expect him to be put in a good situation as much as any quarterback can be. Um, I think... Some coordinators have done a great job of doing that with young rookie quarterbacks in the past. Some some uh, quarterbacks get thrown to the wolves, right? Uh, you see, you know, the, the way that I'll just pick Justin Herbert came in and they build the organization around him. He's got Keenan Allen. He's got all these pieces. And then, you know, you look at the situation that Trevor Lawrence was in last year and uh, and just the dumpster fire that that, that organization was last year. So uh, I think with Trey, we're going to see between Kyle Shanahan and the playmakers around him, I think they're going to try and put him in a position to succeed. Um, It's in everybody's best interest, right? They made their decision. And one thing I think is interesting is people kind of forget, you know, we we look at the decision to to want to draft Trey and to move on. And I mean, most people know Jimmy's, you know, resume so far, I think he's won 70% of his games (laughs) and yet they move on. So people look at, you know, Kyle Shanahan on that. We got to zoom out a little bit. You look at, you know, John Lynch, big part of that decision right and but I think you got to zoom out a little bit further and look at Judd York because it wasn't that long ago that Jim Harbaugh had Alex Smith playing at that time the best football of his career and he gets knocked out of a game where I think he would have completed 90 percent of his passes in that game highest pass rating of his career and they decided to move on to Colin Kaepernick and it worked out he would go Super Bowl and so this whole idea of we've got this guy who's doing solid however you know however you want to rank it right? Because stats are stats. Um, but to go in a different direction anyway, with a more mobile guy who can, can open this up. So I know that Kyle wasn't there then, and I know that John Lynch wasn't there yet then. But from an ownership standpoint, to sign off on that, that's something I haven't heard anybody really talk about. Um, because this is a massive leap of faith. And now having Jimmy come back is a security blanket. But if Trey struggles and they have to put Jimmy in, uh, there's indictments across the board on the decision to do it in the first place and to use the third pick on it. Um, so I think this is going to be fascinating to watch this, the entirety of this season unfold, but between that defense, uh, and the playmakers, I see Brandon and I, you making a major step this year. Uh, the playmakers are around Trey. I think they're going to put him in a position, high percentage completion throws, 
get him outside the pocket and move it, run the ball, which is what Kyle Shanahan wants to do anyways. Um, but I think these first two or three weeks, we're going to see some, uh, some inaccuracies, some bad ball out of Trey, and we're going to see some incredible plays that justify the decision that they made. It's just uh, going to go through this first month and see where we're at on that list, which, which list is longer. I think it's a really fascinating response. Jordan Palmer is joining us. So, Jordan, what about this? Like, he's got a lot of talent around him. You just made that point. How would you compare that to the situation that Justin Fields finds himself in? What do you make of the way Chicago has kind of built that thing and surrounded him or not surrounded him? Yeah, I I played for that organization and and had a great experience there. Um, But I I would love to to have sat in the meeting where somebody said, here's the plan of how we're going to build around this kid. (laughs) Because it's either there was no plan or they're not executing it. Um, you know, they had it. They had one good pass catcher, Allen Robinson, that walked out the door. I know Moody's getting better. and He's been a playmaker. But they certainly haven't. You, know, you just look at these situations some of these other young quarterbacks are in. You know, you look at Justin Herbert. You look at Joe Burrow, who he's throwing to. Um, even Trevor Lawrence running out and got Christian Kirk this offseason. Um, I just don't know that they've really addressed it. And... And an O-line might be the actual weakness on the offense uh, on top of playmakers. So that the magnitude, the expectations of being the Bears quarterback, particularly with the ones that Justin came in with, where we saw what he did in college and his ability. Um, yeah, I, I, Trey's in a much better spot. I, I, I am, I'm real concerned for Justin as he heads into the season. And I'm a fan of his, and I think he can play. Uh, I, I just think that he's got uh, probably as limited resources around him as any young quarterback in this league. Jordan Palmer, my guest. Jordan, you've also worked with Patrick Mahomes in the past. Over the course of the summer, Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins have said their new quarterbacks are better than Mahomes, and there's an expectation that Kansas City's offense is going to drop off this year. What do you think when you hear that? I, you know, I, I think you got to consider the source, and I just don't know either of those guys. You know, for Tyree Kill to be talking about Tua Tagovailoa the way that he has, I think that's more, you know, what is Tyreek talking about? Um, and, and with Sammy talking about Aaron Rodgers, well, I don't know. Aaron's been doing this a long time at a really high level, and he's back-to-back MVP. So, uh, again, I, I, don't, I don't know the source there. Um, but in terms of Kansas City moving on, I don't see Tyreek as a wide receiver so much. Uh, obviously, he's a wide receiver. But I put him in a completely different category. I think there's three people right now in the NFL that can score from anywhere on the field. You can have them wrapped up in the backfield. You can have three guys in front of them. You can have no block. There's three people who can at any point score a touchdown. And I think that's Jamar Chase, that's Lamar Jackson, and that's Tyreek Hill. You can argue Alvin Kamara. You can argue, certainly open for debate and argument on that. But there's three guys that aren't going to get argued on that. I just don't know how you let one go out the, room, out the building unless it's they're breaking down physically, which Tyreek's not. So it's not just replacing the, produ- produ- the production or the presence in the locker room, or him being clutch and coming through in the moment. You're, you're, you got to replace these couple of touchdowns that happened this year that are completely unaccounted for. And Mahomes is clearly one of the best players in this league. Um, and so I, what I'm going to be looking at in Kansas City this year is how much more off-schedule plays, like how much more does Patrick have to move around so that a guy like Juju can run a curl and then go ahead and take off across the field. And like he did with, with Big Ben. And how much can, can like, is there another level to him and, and, and Travis Kelsey? Because that's a lot of productivity to make up for. And as far as what those guys are saying about the other quarterbacks, uh, I mean, guys, they always, you know, I can picture Terrell Owens crying talking about Tony Romo at the, at, you know, in the press. Like, you guys are always going to support their guy. But those were pretty strong statements, particularly out of Tyreek. Talking to Jordan Palmer. So, Jordan, you're pushing out a lot of great, great content. People listening right now can find you on Instagram and TikTok. What is the best way, though, for them to consume the room? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I shifted last season to uh, Instagram and TikTok and got uh, over 50 million views. It was pretty crazy. Uh, breaking it down a little bit different than everybody else is breaking down. It's just at Jordan Palmer. And then Kyle Allen and I, I've, I've worked with him since he was 16 years old. He's a backup quarterback in Houston right now at the Texans. And uh, we just felt like the most important room in any NFL building or college building is the quarterback room. If that room's right, you got a chance. And if that room's not right, you, you don't have a chance. But it's, the, it's also some of the smartest guys in the building talking and talking about football, but, and it's a high-level football conversation. We're talking about fashion and sports and music and, all, and other sports. 
And uh, we just wanted to bring that. So we've been, what we've been doing is uh, we have a show. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, and YouTube. And it's called The Room. We're bringing The Room to people. So every week we're going to have the, the best quarterback from the biggest matchup. We, uh, through the preseason, we've had Desmond Ritter. Uh, G, uh, JT Daniels dropped last week, new quarterback at West Virginia. We shot with Kenny Pickett last week. That drops tomorrow. And then we're going to have Josh Allen on Wednesday. That'll drop uh, the night before uh, the season kicks off with the Rams. And basically the biggest names in quarterback will be joining us each week. And these are like our interviews. These are uh, unprecedented access and fascinating conversations. Really, really good stuff. He is a quarterback consultant, a former NFL quarterback, founder of QB Summit, and co-host of The Room, which is available, in fact, on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Jordan Palmer, my guest. Jordan, thank you very much. Great job. And always good to have you on the show, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Good night now!